Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another big week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Claire, good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Uh, greetings both to our digital and radio audience. Well, folks, we have a packed show, and it just got a little more packed. We record Thursday mornings around 9 a.m., and um, we are going to spend a significant amount of time talking about what's been happening in our state as our state legislature's joint finance committee is wrapping up its business this week, and there's much to talk about. But as we record this morning, big breaking news the Supreme Court has just ruled, uh, has thrown out the challenge to the Affordable Care Act. Claire, this is huge news. Uh, Supreme Court, always June, big time for announcements. Uh, seven to two, they throw out any challenge to the affordable, this latest challenge to the Affordable Care Act. Claire, what are the top lines? And of course, uh, Robert, then uh, please offer your thoughts. Claire? Well, first of all, I think the most important top line is, yay, this is very exciting. Uh, this was always um, sort of the, the biggest existential threat to the Affordable Care Act law. Um, the, uh, the lawsuit was uh, basically led by uh, Texas and um, said that because the Trump administration had decided to stop enforcing the penalty for um, folks who did not uh, have health insurance as required by the individual mandate, as it's called, um, that because that was no longer being enforced, um, that basically the, the whole law um, was invalid. And um, while folks were a little skeptical that the entire law would be thrown out because of that one chance uh, change. There was a chance that um, it could be because folks weren't sure whether um, that individual mandate was um, severable from the rest of the law, meaning whether um, you could maybe just throw out a part of the law without throwing out the whole law. And um, what happened was um, even better than ruling on that question in my mind. Now I've had this news in my hands for all of five minutes. And so and I'm not a lawyer, right? And so there might be issues that come up later. But um, sort of my first gut reaction is that um, the justices sort of threw out the whole the whole question, saying um, basically that the uh, the states that led this lawsuit didn't have uh, enough standing to even bring the lawsuit before before the Supreme Court, meaning there wasn't a strong enough basis for them to even be um, to be bringing that question forward. Um, so the entire law, for now at least, until the next challenge, stays intact. Um, and now, of course, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so you know, the ACA—it's not the end-all, be-all of healthcare reforms. We know that, but it's an, it's important to protect the protections uh, that we have right now, so that we can build a a better, stronger system moving forward without having to regain lost ground. Millions, yes, millions of Americans rely upon the ACA. Robert, your thoughts about the big news. Okay, just so folks know when we're recording and when this came out, there are no full news stories yet. They're just one paragraph. We know which justices voted with the majority. So the three conservatives that voted with the majority are Robert, Clarence Thomas, 
which is hard to ever remember him uh, splitting, and Amy Coney Barrett, which means all the others, including Brett Kavanaugh, actually voted to throw out the law. I disagree not with any fact Claire just lined up a little bit of, uh, put out there, but a little bit with the framing, but framing, I don't know if that's even right word. Look, this has been a frivolous lawsuit the whole time. The shocker the whole time was that the case was taken and proceeded to the Supreme Court. And so what we're looking at here is really the shocker is not that it's constitutional, but that the right-wing Supreme Court that is impacted by Trump is still not crazy enough to throw it out. And that was really in doubt. That's why people were worried, because let's face it, right-wing judges have been mostly making all new constitution and new laws. It's nothing to do about anything that was done in the constitutional convention or any legitimate jurisprudence. Uh, Robert, I, so, Robert so, to, to that point, I got to say, I am a bit surprised because I did not have any faith in the courts. I ha I think a lot of people are deeply troubled at what's happening with our democracy. So just want to add, I think we, because of that, you're right. It may have been frivolous, but man, uh, I think we have such lack of faith in our institutions and in and in that Supreme court. Uh, that's probably why we feel that immediate uh, I, big deep breath, but back to your thoughts. Sorry. I agree with that. I also would say, you know, with the whole history of Supreme courts, like the Supreme Court in the Gilded Age, basically reinterpreting all of the Reconstruction era amendments to protect the rights of black people as corporate protection and not protection of black people. So there's certainly ample precedent, and there's others too, for courts acting irrationally. I would just point out, just not to make this all about goodwill, Justice Roberts has been a master at, at trying to keep the court legitimate. And he knows darn well that having this decision helped them make other decisions. That's why he originally paired um, better decisions with trashing the Voting Rights Act. And the trashing the Voting Rights Act might well lead to the fall of this democracy if we Democrats don't get our act together. So let's not say it's all about them being rational, but obviously it's great uh, that it was reaffirmed. It's incredible we even had to worry about this case. And of course, people should not forget what the real threat is of the right wing courts or the threat to democracy from neo-fascist conservatives in still celebrating that this happened. Hey, so I have a question for either of you. Uh, Claire, you sort of hinted at this. What's possibly next? Is there another challenge? Is there something else in the pipeline related to challenging the ACA that... Um, our listeners should be worried about, or at least have on their radar? Um, as far as I know, there's not a specific case right now that has advanced um, far enough that it could, um, that it could have a similar sort of effect um, by, if, it, if it were to reach the Supreme Court. But I think what's important to note is that the court did not actually rule on the larger issue of this case, which is whether um, the law in its entirety or maybe the most substantial pieces of the law could stand without the provision or at least the 
um, the punitive measure of the provision that requires people to obtain insurance or pay a penalty, right? So they never actually ruled on that issue. They just said the states don't have standing right now. And so we can't take up this case or we won't take up the case for the reasons that Robert pointed out, right? That, that it was a sort of a frivolous lawsuit. Um, so I would not be surprised if somebody were to come back and say, okay, we got that feedback. Now let's make a more narrow, more you know, legally strong case, or they, they were to try again in some other way that would, you know, try to meet standing. So the issue itself hasn't gone away. Um, I could see somebody trying again, have to stay vigilant. What do you think, Robert? You're right. And standing, just so folks know who aren't lawyers, is whether the people who brought the case actually have a right to bring the case, or they actually directly impacted or some other, there's a complicated judicial standards for who has standing to, to, uh, to, to sue and who does not, and who they can sue. This is suing the federal government. So this is not Brown versus Board of Education. This did not throw out Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal. It did not rule on the underlying frivolous argument, leaving them open for future mischief in a case that actually had standing. So to your question, Matt, it seems like if I'm the right-wing infrastructure with its endless lawyers and endless money, I'm figuring out how to uh, get a case that has standing and start it up through the right-wing Trump-packed courts again. And let's be clear, the Democrats could be appointing a lot more justices than they are. They just, uh, they just confirmed their first judge this far into the Biden administration, when in fact, we have so, such a shortage of judges and you can expand judiciary, they should actually be greatly expanding the number of federal judges in order to counteract the rigging and gerrymandering of the federal courts by, the, by Trump and McConnell, and they're not currently doing it. So I would say probably another case like this because they've left all the legal issues live. Well, folks, let's be clear. Uh, one of the best things that we can do is continue to stay on the offensive for healthcare reform and want to encourage people. We have a healthcare for all organizing cooperative. Please consider joining it. We'll have a link. Uh, it is helping lead the fight uh, to guarantee affordable healthcare to everybody. So uh, really want to encourage you to get involved in citizen action. We're one of the leading org organizations that fights for healthcare reform. And that is probably the best thing we can do is to continue to go on the offensive, continue to make sure that the Biden administration and Democrats nationally and at the state level continue to put forward the kind of uh, legislation we need to make sure that everyone has access to health care. And uh, that is absolutely critical. And I would say that this Supreme Court uh, uh, decision today is an important reminder of that. But with that, we are going to take the show's first break. Before I do that, I want to thank all of our listeners who came out to Fitchburg this past Saturday for the Manaqua Brewing Pack Company Pack and Citizen Action Inoculation Emancipation Party. It was a great time. I know Robert was able to get out. Got to see uh, a number of you. There were hundreds there. Great music. Uh, again, thanks if you were to make it to either one of the two parties that we had. And we want to thank Kirk Bankstead and the Monaco Brewing Pack. But with that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, our first section, we discussed the breaking news this morning. As of Thursday morning, Supreme Court 
dismissed the latest challenge to the Affordable Care Act. It's very big news, but uh, Claire, we need to we need to focus uh, that this segment on what's been going on in our Wisconsin State Legislature because this week is the final week of the Joint Finance Committee, which is a critical step in the budget writing process, and we have been talking a lot about that process. And um, Claire wanted to start before we get into a number of things that they did that were quite not quite bad this week. Um, I wanted to hear from you about some key things that happened on healthcare in the Joint Finance Committee that maybe not all of our listeners heard about. Uh, could you please update our listeners of some of the some of the actions this week? And I believe it was on Tuesday. Yeah, so um, this was Tuesday the 15th that the uh, Joint Finance Committee took up the healthcare uh, department's budget as well as the um, insurance commissioner's budget. And the, the top lines here are that they once again passed on an opportunity to do anything substantive that would help the public, uh, the public health of the people of Wisconsin and tried to do just the absolute barest minimum to make it seem as if there was enough good in the budget for the governor to not have to veto it, which is uh, total garbage. Um, it, it's really it's really all just smoke and mirrors, like I said, and nothing substantive. So for example, they passed on the opportunity again to do anything about Badger Care expansion. They um, completely neglected any opportunity to do anything about prescription drug affordability, even though there was a whole slew of items in the governor's budget that related to um, making medicines more affordable. Um, they tried to do, or not tried, they did do um, some you know, small work around um, long-term care and caregiving, trying to make it seem like they are working to address um, the caregiver shortage by putting um, some more money into uh, caregiver services um, purportedly to support the wages of caregivers, even though if you actually look at the numbers, a lot of the money is coming from the federal government through American Rescue Plan funds. Some of it is from the state, but a lot of it is from um, new money from the federal government. So it, it's really not that big of a lift for the state. But a lot of it is also going to nursing homes. A little bit is going to home care workers to help with wages, but a lot of it is going to nursing homes. And more and more people are not wanting to, to age in nursing homes. More and more people are wanting to um, age and recover, um, receive care services in their homes. And they also didn't do anything around um, the non-wage related recommendations of the governor's um, task force on caregiving, things like more training and supports for workers, the other things that are needed to keep people, attract and retain people into the, the, the care field. But the thing that they did that I found sort of the most insulting, and this is a minute thing, is uh, one of the health equity items that we've been talking about, uh, not a ton, but that I know I've mentioned, and that is a big deal for um, advocates of women's health around the state is the um, expansion of postpartum um, badger care benefits. So this is after, um, after a new mother gives birth, um, allowing um, her and her child to be on uh, badger care um, after 
after um, birth for a, a certain amount of time to ensure that they can, you know, thrive in the early stages of that child's life. And right now in Wisconsin, um, I think that's 60 days. And there have been a proposal, which a lot of states are doing, to expand that to one year, just to ensure that the first year of an infant's life, they have uh, medical coverage, because as we know, that's like one of the most critical years of a child's life. And what JFC did was they expanded it from 60 days to 90 days, which I know it seems like a little thing, but makes me so mad because it is such an insult to, um, you know, to to women who are trying to raise children um, in in poverty or with very very little resources. You know, it's like somebody said, "Here is this huge issue and this easy thing you can do about it." And they, you know, kind of laughed and were like, okay, here, we'll do the tiniest, tiniest little thing possible. Uh, when it would have been so easy just to keep it at a year. Um, I am not doing, I am not doing the, this injustice justice in describing it. <laughs> well, well, look, it, first of all, it just shows the pettiness right now of the kind of leadership we have. And when it's very clear what the solutions are, Robert, I wanted to give you an opportunity if there was anything related to the actions in JFC this week, healthcare related, before we move to a litany of just, quite frankly, bad things they did. Robert? They don't care about healthcare because they don't think healthcare is a right. They think if you aren't getting access, even if you're a woman who's just given birth and is low income, working class, that if you can't pay for health care that they couldn't pay for out of pocket, then not uh, because our health care system is so commodified that it's, it, it, every, it, people are priced out unless they have good coverage. Uh, they don't care. They think it's your fault. That's it. And so none of these are a surprise. Just don't believe them when they're back on the campaign trail posturing about what they allegedly did around health. Claire, they will run for re-election, some of them, uh, if it comes up on how they uh, extended by 50% the Badger Care coverage uh, period for postpartum care. So we just need to be aware that what they say and what they do are two totally different things. But if there was an industry angle and a profit angle here, like this enriched the hospitals, the pharmaceutical companies, then they certainly would have done it. That simple. Yes, I, it's, it's an excellent point. With that, though, I do want to transition to a discussion of other things that they did this week. And uh, it is worth pointing out, uh, tomorrow is uh, Juneteenth Day, which, you know, there's been some big news this year. The federal government is now going to officially recognize Juneteenth. It looks like uh, that passed with bipartisan support. But on, the, on this week, and given all of the We've had a task force on criminal justice reform, the whole Black Lives Matter movement. This week, uh, Republicans threw out a number of really important criminal justice reform items that were in the state budget. Uh, Robert, Claire, wanted to, uh, to get your thoughts on that. Robert, I know you had some, and then Claire, give you an opportunity uh, on, on this critical issue. Yeah, these are pretty small but important bipartisan moves, or thought to be bipartisan. That's what I'm going to question that have been supported by Republicans along the way as they, like I said on healthcare, posture to say that they're for criminal justice reform when they're really not, when we are behind most even red states on criminal justice reform. And Evan Goyke, 
who's on the Joint Finance Committee, State Representative from Milwaukee, has really focused on this. He's a former public defender, and he has tried to get a bipartisan compromise, and he was very effective in the hearing pointing out the hypocrisy of all this. But yet again, if it was in Governor Evers' budget, they're against it, and they probably didn't care about these issues anyway. Uh, they, they simply are about posturing and power, and therefore you have to believe that they're for a mass incarceration system that makes us less safe and ruins tens of thousands of lives and is, as Michelle Alexander has said, the new Jim Crow. Claire? The, did we mention the fact that I think Tom Tiffany was uh, from the Wausau area, uh, is one of the only folks in the U.S. Senate who voted against I, making? I thought we should. One of the 14 in the House, no one in the Senate voted against. That's fine. It's fine. Let, tell us more, though, about, I mean, look, this is, it's going to lead into our next topic related to the legislature. I mean, Tom Tiffany is, quite frankly, part of this new Republican Trump, the party of QAnon, right, where they are, they're out there. And this, this inability to support Juneteenth days just demonstrates that. Look, this is, um, Republicans are often all about sort of the symbolic um, measures, right, to make it look like they support equality and that they, um, they support justice without actually having to do anything. And um, supporting something like a Juneteenth holiday would be an easy uh, step for that, which is why I think we saw so many Republicans in uh, the United States Congress supporting uh, making it a holiday. Um, of course, we need more of that uh, more than that from them, right? We need real steps in uh, reforming our quote justice system. Um, but some Republicans couldn't even do that, right? Like Tom Tiffany couldn't even do that. Um, and and I think uh, sort of that's the the body of people that you're talking about, um, Matt. When you when you talk about sort of the QAnon caucus or um, you know the the Trump caucus that that just isn't going away. Um, and it makes real, like I said, it makes real substantive reforms even more difficult, right? And we saw that in JFC this week where Democrats were pleading with um, Republicans to say, can, can we please take even the smallest steps in like creating a more equitable um, justice system? And the Republicans just wouldn't, wouldn't even touch it. Yes. It, it's just, it's indicative of where they are. But with that, we have to take a break. Folks, you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. We encourage you to consider joining us. Join one of our organizing co-ops. Become a member of Citizen Action. We'll have details for that on our webpage. But with that, we're going to take a break. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. For Citizen Action, we are talking about what's been going on this week in the Joint Finance Committee and uh, as it wraps up its work and this process moves to the next stage, uh, which of course means uh, Governor Evers and uh, both the Senate and the Assembly, all of the legislators are gonna have to have their say with this. Uh, but before we go continue on some of the other things in JFC, I want to point out this week, we have talked about what they did on education uh, being particularly awful in terms of essentially the cuts to the governor's budget, uh, one-tenth of 
uh, the resources the governor put forth, but that it put at risk a lot of our federal resources uh, that were going to come in the Recovery Act. Um, this week, the five largest urban school districts in uh, Wisconsin sent a letter to the Republicans uh, letting them know just how awful this is. And it really does seem to have some of the Republicans scrambling a little bit. Robert, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. I know you track education funding and policy very closely. And Claire, of course, right, uh, right after, given our former school board candidate, I just really wanted your thoughts on this because we're sort of at a critical juncture. And I do believe, by the way, this will be the thing that's going to lead to a, a, a Governor Evers' uh, potential veto of an, the entire budget. Well, just to clarify, they are one-tenth of Governor Evers' increase in uh, school spending. And just so everyone knows, there is an inflation rate in everything, including education. In addition, there's a huge toll of a pandemic. So education advocates think that the effect of this Republican budget is a freeze on most districts. That's how it'll come down. And so this is amazing. They always, education is very popular in state legislative races. They think the districts are gerrymandered enough and they think the public tuned up enough, out enough that they can say they're for good schools and say they fund education and no one will notice. And so here we are with budget surpluses, with more revenue than the state thought they had. And in addition, doing this would probably generate 3.2 billion more in federal money because this puts us below the 33% threshold for, for a percentage of state budget required to get extra uh, American Rescue Plan money, which puts us below the floor. It's like paying less than the minimum wage. So their budget, this is a good way to think about it. Their budget puts us below what is even a reasonable floor for states to spend as a percentage of their budget in education. And per the last segment, they're continuing to spend a tremendous amount on corrections, more than we spend on the UW system and refusing even minimal criminal justice reform that would save money, save lives and, and improve, greatly improve equity, especially racial equity. So this is just par for the course. They may well be. I know Claire thought maybe they were doing some face-saving things to get the governor not to veto. I'm tending to lean on the idea that they're doing this so that they force the governor to veto. I think the governor vetoes the budget if it, if it turns out that we don't get all that extra federal money. And so we're giving away the $3.2 billion for education and the $1.5 billion for Badger Care, all that could be used for other things that Republicans might want to spend money on. My goodness, you could spend the money on alternatives to corrections if they won't cut the, the corrections and the, the kind of the militarized part of public safety budget at all, because it's just like when we own military only solutions overseas, same problem. Maybe they would invest some of this money in reducing the number of people who actually encounter the criminal justice system or helping all the folks who have had to go through it unnecessarily because of low level drug offenses and now can't get a good family supporting job and get reconnected in the community. But they don't really want to govern, Matt. This is not about governing. This is about power. Well, Claire, wanted your thoughts on this as someone who used to be a school board member in one of these districts that sent the letter. Your thoughts, and particularly, obviously, this is going to have a 
it would be a terrible impact on the Milwaukee district. Yes, it would. Um, and you know, the thing that jumped out at me when I when I thought about this, um, and and this was echoed in some of the news coverage, is that these districts um, are the most populous school districts in the state. Um, yes, and um, in fact. Uh, the AP's article uh, sort of affirms that, saying that these five districts combined serve about 150,000 students, which is 20% of the of the state's students. So, you know, one in five students in the entire state of Wisconsin is in one of these school districts. Um, and then what I thought about is, you know, being that these are sort of the largest urban districts in the state, there are a lot of students in poverty from very low-income households in these districts. And uh, according to the letter from superintendents, um, more than 104,000 of those 150,000 um, are students who live in poverty or very near poverty, depending on how you want to define it. Um, and so, so these are these are really amongst the most, um, you know, vulnerable people in our state, right? They're children and they're children in poverty. And so um, it, it really makes you think about you know how would how would these monies be spent and it would really be spent trying to ensure um that that these kids can have any sort of a any sort of a future right um and, and that at least that's what we should want and so that's always the first thing that i think about when, when we're talking about education funding for some of these districts um and the second thing i thought about is just how hard it is to plan for a school year when you don't know what your money is is going to look like when you don't know what your funding is going to look like and school district budgets um don't align with the calendar year they align with the with the school year and so this is the time when they're preparing their budgets for the next year and to have this much uncertainty really means that all of your budgeting all of your planning for the upcoming school year just has to stop because you have no idea what it's going to look like. So it's really disruptive to the administration of the districts themselves. And that's not just for these five districts, but for every school district across the state. Um, and and that is that's terrifying because then you don't know that that has an effect on hiring. Like, can we even have can we be hiring people over the summer? We don't know because we don't know how much money we're gonna have, right? Um, can we be trying to upgrade buildings during the summer when students aren't there? We don't know because we don't know how much money we're gonna have, right? Like the ripple effect is huge. Before we go to our next break, I wanted to get one final round of comments. The other thing that the legislature and this particular, the assembly passed this week, and again, this is pride month and they uh, chose Pride Month to pass their effort to go after and attack transgender uh, youth and banning transgender athletes from participating in women's athletics. Robert, Claire, thoughts on this? Obviously, just it fits into what they're what this uh, caucus is all about. This is part of the right wing culture war. It's designed just to rev up their base. And there is no crisis on equity in sports competition and in interscholastic sports because transgendered women are dominating every sport. <laughs> they can't give one example. And in addition, they, they, they need to find a new group to hate. 
And since you can no longer do what they did in the 1970s and create panic about gay teachers, because we've now learned that gay people are not a threat to children uh, in general, we can have this scary group of transgendered people. And guess what? These are the most vulnerable teens. Most, they, 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 they have the, the most anxiety, the most threat of suicide, you name it, depression. And they're, they're willing to abuse these kids, kids who want to fit in and who might enjoy playing on the soccer team and probably aren't even the star and tell them we're going to brand you as someone different who can't, uh, who, who cannot participate with people who identify with the same gender you do. So it's flat out bigotry for political advantage, pure and simple. And they don't give a darn whether it's Pride Week, obviously, and neither does their base. Yeah, I want to reiterate something Robert said, which is that, you know, we're when you're talking about trans teens, you're talking about, um, you know, uh, children, first of all, children who often feel really alone and, and really confused, right? They're going through changes um, and being part of a team helps kids feel less alone, right? You get to be a part of something. You get to have teammates who support you and you work together towards a goal. I mean, being part of a sporting team could be an exceptionally stabilizing um, and healing thing for, for kids um, during a um, sort of tumultuous period of their life. And to take away their ability to do that just compounds all of these feelings of like, like I said, of being alone and, and sad. Um, so this is, this is really harmful. Um, and, and again, to just reiterate another point that Robert said, the science just isn't there um, that, um, that trans girls are, you know, gonna be just like much, much better at sports um, than, um, than cis girls. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with um, the way that, you know, hormones are developing in, in kids' bodies. Um, and um, I, I've listened, I won't get into it now, but I've listened to a number of podcasts about the science behind it and the science just isn't there to, to back up this claim. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, just another disgusting campaign that they're running that, by the way, legislation nobody asked for. With that, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about what's been going on in our state legislature. I want to spend the last segment talking about something we have discussed before, and that is uh, what is going on within our state Republican state legislature, particularly within the assembly. Um, we talked earlier this year that there has been a split there's real division within the assembly, particularly with the new burgeoning QAnon caucus uh, within the party. And, you know, these are the folks who support Trump and have been all over, you know, every conspiracy theory. And in particular, have been really uh, trumping up in these the big lie. And um, this uh, this division really came came to the public this week uh, around the efforts, uh, the QAnon caucus to go participate in the Arizona recount, which is autopsy or whatever you want to call it. It's uh, just more uh, a show for the for the right wing. Uh, and that Voss attempted to try to quash that, uh, but ultimately uh, under pressure, you know, succumb. And uh, to me, this just continues to show 
what we're seeing in the state budget, right, in terms of the way they're reacting, but just um, this is a party that uh, is no longer the party of Lincoln. It is the party of Trump and conspiracy and QAnon. Uh, hey, Robert, uh, obviously would love your thoughts. Look, it's been and it will continue to be another wild ride this week. Uh, we have a delegation of assembly Republicans going to Arizona at private expense, undisclosed who's paying for it, to tour the, the vote audit, which is done by a completely discredited firm that is just trying to discredit the election, where they're equally QAnon state Senate has handed over all the ballots from Maricopa County, the by far the, the biggest voting block in Arizona, the, the county Phoenix is in, to these folks. And they are trying to, with Donald Trump, who had a video that came out in Wisconsin, uh, right along with this in New Richmond and was watched by a group of people, uh, he's calling for audits everywhere, including Wisconsin. So this is including the chair of the Assembly Elections Committee. And so they went and said all sorts of unbelievable things during their tour. Uh, they believe that the election was stolen for Trump and Trump didn't win. And they were interviewed and it went national by um, by one of the big right wing media sources. Um, and that media source there, the interviewer was also a major funder of the audit that tells you about right wing, whether right wing media is actual journalism. That's the one American network. And so. They also, and so this is amazing, and it's so bad that they told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that they had to convince Robin Voss and that he felt uh, that, that he was skeptical of the Arizona audit, vote audit, which is amazing. This is the audit that found, that's looking for bamboo uh, and is sending all of the ballots to some secret lab in Montana that doesn't seem to exist, all the data, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a huge circus, national spectacle of QAnon stuff, conspiracy stuff. Uh, so, but here's the thing. Now that Voss is in the papers as a problem because he, he let them go, but he had some skepticism. Is he becoming the Paul Ryan figure who is trying to ride this tiger, capture this new right-wing nationalism and base and conspiracy theory base, but he can't control it? Just like the Republicans created the whole market for Trump and the audience, and so the right wing infrastructure, and then Trump took it from them, and they didn't have control. That is, that's probably a future we're looking at here. And what it really raises, Matt and Claire, is questions of how to respond to it because us on the left shouting that it that it that it's unhinged actually plays into their narrative and their vic their victimization and is part of their drama. So we just got to we got to be very smart in how we're going to defeat them. I know Claire is very concerned about that very issue. Claire, I'd be happy to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm, I am concerned. Um, I will say I'm concerned more broadly about um, the the likelihood of um, you know Republicans in Wisconsin pushing an Arizona style. Um, uh, you know, ballot review, uh, you know, quote unquote, right? Because it's not really a review. There's nothing to review. Um, I, I am concerned about um, pushing something like this here in Wisconsin. And um, I know that there are 
uh, legislators in the assembly, um, like Michelle Brangen, um, who have said they'd be interested in um, in something like that. And it's just such a waste of public funds. And it's so harmful to our um, democracy in general to be questioning the integrity of um, of our of our voting system at, at just the most basic level. Um, it's it's just so disruptive. Yeah, it, it but it, 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 it leads to the Robert, you brought the question about whether this push where you have these big lie believers within the assembly caucus. No, it, it's a real, real possibility that this could be Voss's last go around and that he could be losing control of this caucus. And, you know, this is a natural evolution of the party that certainly is playing out in other parts of the country and what we're seeing. Um, I did. I, we cannot let the show go without, of course, uh, one of their one of the QAnon caucuses leaders here uh, put leaders in quotes is Joe Sanfilippo, who we have talked about uh, a lot before, Representative Sanfilippo. Um, he this week, again, you know, we're, 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 Juneteenth is on on Friday. And this guy who's a suburban Milwaukee representative had the audacity to, to suggest that we call in the National Guard into Milwaukee and call Milwaukee a war zone, right? This is the kind of rhetoric and language that is taking over within the Republican Party. Uh, thoughts? I know, Robert, you got definite concerns around this. We just talked about criminal justice reform in an earlier segment. Uh, there is a, an uptick in violent crime everywhere in the country. It is pandemic and a depression for working people related and creating more pain and actually making the pandemic worse. So it may well be coming back with new variants in the winter and the late fall is going to do the same thing. And because of the incredible lack of economic opportunity and incredible level of poverty, which is being accentuated by this legislature. But the way to think about it is this, I think, uh, this is all evidence that the largest effort in world history to incarcerate our way and police our way to public safety is failing. And therefore, we need to actually deal with the root causes and the alternatives to incarceration, like, like mental health, like real guaranteed access to mental health, not a few mental health programs here and there for a few people, real substance use uh, uh, treatment and prevention and addiction prevention. Uh, really legalizing uh, most drugs because prohibition does not work and simply criminalizes things. Reforming the police so we are not over-policing all marginalized and people of color communities if they're, if they're, if they're working class or low income. But he's going to double down. We have a, more people incarcerated than any country has ever in the whole world and this massive militarized police force, and it's still unsafe, so he wants more of it which of course takes money away from schools, takes money away from universities and technical college and from everything we need to do to actually create a fair, safe, equitable, prosperous uh, country that is also safe. There's also a, a legislature, including Mr. Sam Filippo, who want to make guns available to everyone no matter what and are making progress trying to do that. 
Claire, you get the last word today on the show. Uh, I want to leave us with this sort of political thought, right? I mean, that, that, that bashing Milwaukee and, and using terms like, uh, you know, war zone are clearly racialized dog whistles meant to pit white Wisconsinites, especially white Wisconsinites from other parts of the state against Milwaukee, because it is an easy political move for um, Republicans. And the folks that we're seeing doing this now, um, including Rebecca Clayfish and Joe Sanfilippo, are folks who could be candidates for governor um, in the upcoming 2022 um, election. And I, I want us to all be on guard and like ready to fight against this rhetoric um, in the coming year and a half as we as we head into another electoral cycle, um, because there because folks are going to try to divide us. Um, these these politicians are going to try to divide us and pit Wisconsinite against Wisconsinite, and they're going to try to use these um, you know racialized dog whistles to do it. And we we can't allow it. We have to be able to all stand together and say. Um, like, no, these are these are good people and we're not we're not going to let you talk about them that way. Um, and we're we're going to we're going to stick together for our, the sake of our state. With that, folks, we got to wrap up this battleground, Wisconsin. I want to thank our panel. Great show. Thank our producer, Brian, who makes it happen every week. We'll see you next week. The battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs>